Good morning, sleep in service. <laughs> you are my people. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here. And uh, I want to just talk a little bit about what, we're, what we've been processing through as we've been doing this series on prayer. You know, we really wanted to create some practical opportunities um, and applications for people to to do prayer, to actually get involved in that biblical conversation with God. And the, the crazy thing is you guys have actually done it, which is somewhat mind-blowing to me. So we set a goal of having 24-7 prayer at our church, which is no small task. And so of the 168 hours, we have now covered over 140 of them, which is pretty amazing. And some of those hours, I want you to understand, some of those hours are stacked like 20, 30 people deep. So... Uh, if you, uh, for some reason, the late afternoon is the hardest part to cover. I think people are doing dinner, picking up the kids and all the rest of it. If you'd love to pray in late afternoon, we'd love to see whether or not we could actually accomplish that goal. But 140, that's significant. As well, we wanted to, you know, one of the goals was to double the number of people that were getting the prayer letter. We now have over 550 people getting the prayer letter every single week, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's good. And then we just kind of threw these prayer covenant cards out there and asked if people wanted to actually be, you know, to pray that for themselves and then to follow the instructions and pray for other people as well. And uh, didn't, we had no idea what would happen. Over 1,200 adults have grabbed a hold of those. We don't even know how many kids and parents are actually praying that. So we've asked you to engage in prayer and you have. And I just want to say as a pastor, that just, that just thrills my heart. And we're going to continue in that conversation. We're going to take a little break from the conversating series. Going to come back to conversating two after Easter, just a little bit. This week, we're going to kind of spin on a dime, and I'm going to start with this. So just over a week ago, I had the opportunity to go and pray with a man who was hanging right between life and death. His name is Roger, and Roger is a faithful follower of Jesus. He's been battling cancer, and his family called and said, Grant, could you come? It's one of the best parts of my job and one of the hardest parts of my job is to go and spend time there. And when you go to pray with somebody for a miracle or that they would have peace as they transition from this life into the next, you tend not to mince words. You tend not to get all kind of flowery. You just get down to it and you pray, right? And the pray is basically, God, your will be done. And we don't know exactly what that looks like. And, and Roger, when I walked into the room that day, he was just so unbelievably peaceful. He was so unbelievably calm. I grabbed his hand and we just prayed together. We prayed that God would touch he and his family, that God's will would be done in that moment. And he, he was so unbelievably peaceful. I love the words that he said when he was grabbing my hand. He goes, Grant, this is what I know. My last breath here is my first breath there. And it was just so calm. It was so unbelievably beautiful. So I prayed for Roger because that's what you're supposed to do, right, when you go there. And as I went to pull my hand away, he kind of locked in, cinched in just a little bit tighter. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. You prayed for me, now I'm going to pray for you. And he prayed. His passion, his faith, his belief, his courage. I mean, it's one of those deals, right? You go to bless somebody and they end up blessing you. It's just such a beautiful exchange. Well, for the last couple of months, we've been talking about this conversation with God. And we've been trying to take our conversation beyond that surface level stuff, you know, help me, give me, bless me, help me, give me, bless me, keep me safe, trying to get beyond that into the kind of prayer that you have when you don't know if you have tomorrow. Because the reality is, I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, but nobody in this room has a guarantee of tomorrow. We get that, right? We have no idea what tomorrow may hold. So, We've been talking about our conversation practically. How do we actually talk to God? This week, we're going to spin it on a dime. And today, we're going to talk not about how we talk to God, but what God prays about us. I want us to understand that. Have you ever wondered what Jesus is doing right now? 
I mean, I think some of us have an assumption, right? He's just working on world peace. That's what Jesus always does. What if I told you that that may be a part of what, he did, what he's doing, but that he's actually doing something very specific right now that Scripture promises us that may actually kind of shift your brain just a little bit? Because I can answer the question what Jesus is doing right now. He's praying for me. The Son of God is praying to his Father about me right now and what I'm doing. And this is the craziest thing. He's doing exactly the same thing for every single person in this room. The prayer of the Son of God is what brought you here this morning. He prayed you into this room. Congratulations, you made it, right? I mean, where do you get that? Romans 8.34 says this, who then is the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Intercession, a fancy word for prayer. He's praying for us. What do you think Jesus is praying for you right now? I mean, do you think he's praying sitting in heaven on the right hand of the Father saying, God, would you please, Father, would you please help the people of the Pacific Northwest? They are so depressed. They were so close, one call away. And it was snatched from them and it's been raining ever since. And it's discouraging and it's a little warm, but it doesn't matter because we're just, God. Seriously, okay? <laughs> what do you think Jesus is praying for you right now? Is he praying that you'll have influence this week? Is he praying for your heart and your passion? Is he praying for your primary human relationship that'll be pure and good? Is he praying against an idol that you dragged into your life this week that's some kind of a substitute or surrogate for Jesus? Is he praying for boldness for you? Is he praying that you'll actually have the courage to engage in one of those uncomfortable lunchroom conversations this particular week? Is he praying for your sanity because you're feeling overwhelmed? I mean, what do you think Jesus is praying for. Well, the Bible tells us exactly what Jesus prayed for us right before he went to the cross. It was kind of like a Roger conversation. He's hanging between life and death, and the Bible actually tells us exactly what Jesus prayed for us. Just like Roger and I didn't mince words that morning when we were, or that, that particular time when we were praying for each other, Jesus doesn't mince any words. He just gets down. Let me give you the historical context so you understand. So this prayer happens after Jesus has washed the feet of his disciples to let them know just how much they were loved, it happens after he's had communion with them so they can have this intense fellowship together. It happens right before he knows he's going to be betrayed by one of his closest circle. So this is raw, unfiltered, and it cuts right to the core of where we're going to be going as a church as we head towards Easter. John 15, 16, and 17 is this, this great big long dialogue. And in the dialogue are these beautiful prayers and as we walk through this today, we're going to be answering this simple question. What did Jesus pray for us when he was here? Let me read it to you. John 17, starting in verse 13. Jesus praying, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world. So that they may have the full measure of joy, my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they're not out of the world any more than I'm of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them 
into the world. So Jesus knows he's about to be arrested. He knows he's going to the cross. He knows he's going to suffer. And this is what he prays. If you back up a little bit to John 15, Jesus had just said these words. Now, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus says, yes, it's actually all about me. All of this conversation is about me because I am the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only gate, the only shepherd, the only hope. I'm, I'm pretty much it when it comes to salvation. And then he starts praying for the people around him. He actually prays for himself, so apparently that's okay to do. And then he prays for the people that follow him. I love the end of John 17. We're not going to go there today. I love the end of it. He actually prays that we would be in perfect unity. He prays that the body of Christ, that every church that names Jesus Christ as Lord and believes the Bible is true, he actually prays that we'd get along. There's a novel thought, right? That we would declare we're not competing with each other, but that we're competing with the enemy for the lives and the souls of every single human being in Whatcom County. In the middle of all of that, there's this little tiny one-line prayer that just captured me this week. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you'd protect them from the evil one. I mean, that little prayer has coined a phrase, and if you grew up in the church world, you've probably heard this little phrase somewhere before. Okay, here's a summary of John 17, 15. As followers of Jesus were to be in the world, but not of the world. Maybe you've heard that before. In, but not of. In, but not of. We're going to unpack that just a little bit because we hear that. I'm supposed to be in but not of. And I am speaking today to those of you who have actually made the declaration that Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. Okay, and we hear that and we start thinking about options because that's what we do as Christians, right? We hear what Jesus says and go, okay, what are the options that are available to me? And we tend to move out into the extremes, okay? The first response I'm going to talk about is unbelievably extreme, and if you do it, you'll probably end up on a really weird television show on the Learning Channel, okay? Stick with me. I'm going to unpack that for you, okay? So choice number one is this, that I will not be of this God-forsaken world, but I will not be in it either, okay? So people see this and they respond, okay? I'm supposed to be in but not of, so the answer is this. It's isolation, all right? And the reason that it's isolation is because Jesus actually says there are people in the world that they hate us. They, air quotes, hate us. They're out to eradicate the world of anyone that goes to church or follows Jesus. There's a national conspiracy to eliminate all churchgoers. They hate Christians. They're taking over the world. They're going to kill us. They're part of a grand conspiracy to steal my stuff and my way of life. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to dig a hole in my backyard and buy some weaponry. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to isolate and segregate so they can't get me. I'm going to move into a commune. I'm going to buy Laurel a denim jumper, right? And we're going to live on organic cabbage for the rest of our life, right? And we're going to dig a really, really big hole and we're going to enclave ourselves and gather with the like-minded and pray against the evil that's everywhere. And we're going to wait for Jesus to come back. No, in but not of means we're going to run away and hide. Why? Because it's bad out there. Really bad. Aren't you glad you came to church, right? <laughs> I mean, people think that's an appropriate response to God's call to be in but not off. But there's a problem with that. If you're going to dig a hole and hide, what do you do with Matthew 5.13 when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth? 
And you're actually supposed to bring flavor to a bland world. You're supposed to be the preservative that holds on to hope, truth, and justice in this broken world. What do you do with Matthew 5.14 and the fact that Jesus told us to be the light of the world that shines in the darkness? I mean, I got a question. How can the light shine when it's buried in a bunker in your backyard underneath a helmet surrounded by canned food and Geiger counters? One person got the joke. That's awesome, okay? What do you do with 1 Peter 2? Live such godly lives among people who don't know Jesus that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. I mean, that is a hard verse to be obedient to when you're playing Groundhog Day and the only time you come out of your hole is to check and see whether or not World War III's happened. Okay, don't do choice number one. Here's choice number two. Some people say, I'm going to look at that in but not of thing. I'm going to be in the world and I'm going to go all the way in. That's the other extreme, right? Instead of isolating myself, I choose to go all the way in to the way of the world. So I'm just going to blend in with the surroundings. I'm going to adapt to the background. I'm going to put on the costume of the world and the skin of the world. And I'm going I'm to do whatever the world says is cool because this is what I want. I want the assurance of heaven and the thrill of life on the worldly edge. I want to cal- camouflage my faith to the point where I don't cause any ripples or have uncomfortable lifetime or lunchtime conversations. I want to be able to laugh off anytime somebody would actually say, are you religious? Now, I want to be able to laugh that off. I want to step under the banner of just being spiritual because that's the new buzzword that's floating around. And, and I never want to have to deal with the exclusivity or the offensiveness of Jesus Christ when he said, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to die. I just don't want to have to deal with that stuff. It's too heavy. So I'm going to choose compromise and diplomacy. I'm going to live out my faith as a chameleon for the sake of my own survival. I'm just going to become a part of the backdrop, a part of the foliage. I'm just going to hide in a tree and eat bugs. There's a problem with that. What do I do with 1 John chapter 2 that says, don't love the world or anything in it. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. That's blunt. What do I do with Romans 12 too? Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's perfect will is. What do I do with John 15? When Jesus says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world because I've chosen you out of it. What do I do with that? If my goal is just to to blend in and camouflage and, 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 and become like a spiritual chameleon. When we look at the first two and go, come on, Grant, be realistic. I'm not going to do either one of those. Okay, let's, let's look at option number three. When Jesus says, you know, this whole in but not of thing, for some of us, the option is, well, I'm going to do nothing. I'm not doing in and I'm not doing of because the reality is my life is already overwhelming. I woke up this morning. I couldn't find my keys, couldn't find my car, couldn't find my pants. And life is just unbelievably difficult. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to mind my own business and keep my head down. I don't really care what Jesus said or what he prayed for me until I can figure out how to actually use my DVR. Life is just too overwhelming, so I'm out. There's a problem with that too. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is talking to people who decide, I'm just going to ignore Jesus, don't really care what he prayed. The Bible says the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. 
Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So option three says, I don't know how to do in. I don't know how to do of. So I'm going to make a decision that the prayer of Jesus is irrelevant. So I'm not in, I'm not of, I'm out. Okay. First three options, I would not recommend any to you. Because there's biblical problems with each one of them. Here's a novel thought. Choice number four. What if we had this position? I'll believe what Jesus truly prayed for us. And I'm going to live that and be obedient to that. I'm actually going to go with Jesus on this one. Now, if you've already forgotten what he prayed, let me read it to you again. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things that while I'm still in the world, so that they, meaning us, may have the full measure of my joy within them, which means this. If you don't walk out of here feeling somewhat joyful today, I will have failed in exposing what it is that Jesus is really saying. So come on, get happy. All right. Verse 14, I've given them your word and the world's hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Can I tell you something? Anytime you decide to unchameleon yourself and live against counterculturally in a gracious, loving way, and somebody hates you because of it, congratulations, you're in great company. They hated Jesus too. Couldn't stand him. Why? Because he stood for truth. Because he stood for love. Because he stood for forgiveness. Because he stood for repentance. Because he stood for joy. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. For how many of you, you look at that verse and go, oh, really? I just, I just want to get out of here. I'm done. I'm finished. I don't want to live on this broken planet anymore. And now Jesus is praying that God won't take us out of the world. Stick with me. We'll walk through that together. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. That simply means set them apart as holy and different. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So let's really understand what it is that Jesus is praying for us then and what he's praying for us Now, let's start with this. This is what Jesus prays. Don't remove them, release them. Don't remove them, right? Apparently getting a a get out of earth free card is not an option that Jesus is pursuing. Apparently isolation is not the answer. Apparently there's a mission that we're supposed to undertake and God's idea is not that we just get pulled out of the world even though there is a promise in scripture that one day that is going to happen but that he wouldn't pull us out but instead that he would release us to live here in a way That people look at us because we live differently and we love differently and we laugh differently and we pursue God differently and it doesn't make us into the the freakish kind of religious people that everybody's afraid of. Instead, it's one of those drawing magnet pieces where they go, what do you have that allows you to have so much peace when the world's going nuts? What do you have that allows you to be grounded when everything is shaking around you? Why are you smiling? There's nothing to smile about. It's that kind of attraction. Jesus prays, God, don't take them out. I I need them there. 
Help them to be different. Help them to have the uncomfortable lunchtime conversation. Help them to keep me in the forefront of every conversation. Then Jesus goes on and he prays this. Don't placate them. Protect them. I love that. I love that Jesus doesn't pray, Father, just gather them up. Have a cuddle session. It's just weird, right? Stroke their hair. Whisper in their ear. It's going to be okay, sweetie. Everything's going to be fine. No, yeah, he doesn't pray that. I love the fact that he prays, they're going to be there. So, Father, this is my prayer request. Protect them from the evil one. Protect them from Satan, because while they're there, there is going to be some tension as they seek to follow me, as they try to figure out what does this in but not of thing. I mean, I want you to understand something, right? The Bible paints a very difficult picture of the evil one, Satan himself. In fact, the Bible describes him as a roaring lion that prowls around looking for the weak and vulnerable to pick off. And that's scary, right? We hear that just like, oh, there's a, there's a lion. What did you learn in church? There's a lion on the loose in Bellingham. Ah, right, you know? And then she's like, what are you doing? I'm going to dig a hole and hide in the backyard. That's what I'm going to do. We're going for the organic cabbage. There's a lion around here. And this is not going to make some sense for some of you, but I do want you to, you can ask your friend who brought you here maybe later on what it is. I want you to know something about the roaring lion of Satan who's intimidating and scary. You need to know this. He doesn't have any teeth. He doesn't have any claws. He was declawed and defanged by Jesus on that cross. He's got nothing on you. If you want to understand power, don't be afraid of that lion. Align yourself with the lion of Judah. That lion's got teeth. Jesus prays that we would be protected from the lion. And I say amen to that prayer. Because that's real. Whether you agree or not, that's real. And I want to remind you of something. If you walk out of here intimidated today because there's a lion out there waiting to get you, then I will have failed because the joy is this. My Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Not much of that was in my notes. And we're, wow. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> I'm just, Let's keep going. What else does Jesus pray? Jesus prays that we will be reminded that this is not their home, that this is not our home. I mean, the Bible actually says that we are not of the world. In fact, Scripture has an interesting way of describing us. It calls us aliens and strangers, right? I've never really understood that. So we are E.T. and a group of people that we were warned not to talk to as children, right? <laughs> like, What? And yet that's exactly what Jesus said. If you've ever wondered as a follower of Jesus why this world is uncomfortable for you, it's because you don't fit here. You're never going to fit here. You're never going to feel like this is home. That begs the question for me. If this isn't your home and you're not supposed to fit here, why do we so try so desperately to blend in? You got one amen out of that. That was awesome. Why do we try so desperately just to be a part of the foliage and the backdrop? 
I mean, the thing that gave so much peace to Roger when I got to pray with him that day is he understood something. This was a temporary assignment for him, and he finished well. I know what Roger got when he got, went home to be with Jesus this week. He got a well-done, good, and faithful servant. I know that. And he was the one that just expressed it. My last breath here will be my first breath here. This is not my home. My home is heaven. I'm going to keep my eyes there. But while I'm here, I have work to do. So if this is not my home, here's the tension we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. If it's not my home, why is it so easy and so tempting to want to blend in? Why are we tempted to be satisfied with worldly stuff? Why do we choose survival over conviction? Verse 17, he keeps going. Jesus prays that he would set them apart as they live out the living word of God. I mean, that's a powerful word, right? Sanctify them by the truth. Set them apart as holy because of the truth. Where do we learn the truth? We learn it from Scripture. That's what sets us apart. We're not set apart so we can look down self-righteously on everybody and just say, you know, I got something you don't have. You don't get to be a part of my cute little religious club. No, when we are set apart, it sets us free to be obedient to God's word and to choose not to chameleon with culture. Because when we follow Jesus, there is and should be a difference. Do you agree? There should be a difference. When Jesus prayed these words for us in John 17, I don't think it's a good summary to say we're just supposed to be in but not of. I think that leaves way too many questions. So I'd like to boldly lay out something in front of you. And I invite you to come back as we wrestle with this over the next little bit. I I would actually summarize it this way. They meaning us. They're not of. They're not to be of the world. We're supposed to be different. But they're most certainly sent into it. Let me say that again. They're not of. Should be a difference. Not supposed to be spiritual chameleons and just blend into the background. But they are most certainly sent into it. What's it? The world that Jesus loved enough to die for. So what's it mean? I mean, isolation's out. Go fill in your bunker. Isolation's out. Apparently full immersion in the world, that's, that's not it either. If you have never been baptized, I dare you to be obedient and go public with your declaration of Jesus in the baptismal tank in a couple weeks. Apparently apathy is never a good answer, right? So if I'm not allowed to do those three, if that doesn't sit well within my soul, how do I get to be the answer to Jesus' prayer? I love that thought. This week, I get to be the answer to Jesus' prayer. So how can I be not of, but most certainly sent into? What does that look like? Do I get to blend in at all? Do I rage against the machine? Do I just mind my own business? I mean, what is God calling me to do to not blend in, to not be of, but to most certainly understand I have a responsibility to be sent into? Well, this week is really a bridge to a whole new series. I mean, I didn't even get to the chameleon stuff. You have to come back next week. We'll keep going on it, all right? It's a bridge on our series of prayer into a series that we're calling chameleon. Because we all know what a chameleon is, don't we? It's a small reptile that was given a gift by its creator. 
And its gift is the ability to be able to blend into a background for its own survival. Because we all know what happens to a chameleon that doesn't chameleon, right? It becomes lunch. So that's tempting for us, right? The, the chameleon is a master at hiding. I can't read John 17 and come to the conclusion that Jesus was praying that we would all become spiritual chameleons. Did we just blend in, not bug anybody? I believe that gift was meant for a bug-eating reptile, not chicken-wing-eating human beings. Put whatever food you like in there. It's good, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the tension that we all live in as we live out what is, what's supposed to, what, what does a spiritual difference look like? And how do we do that in a world that just keeps begging us? Just blend in. Just become a part of the backdrop. Just sit in the foliage. You're fine. Just deal with life one little thing at a time. Be comfortable. You're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. We're going to walk with Jesus as he makes the decision to not blend in. And then we're going to figure out whether or not we're allowed to call ourselves followers or not. And we're going to take this road all the way to Easter when Jesus fully exposed himself on a cross so that we didn't become chameleons. Pray with me, if you would. Lord, I thank you for this morning and an opportunity to be here. Lord, the reality is we want to blend in because we're terrified. We're terrified of what might happen if we actually made the decision to not blend in with the background. But instead chose to stand out. Lord, that's scary for us because the Bible says that we're sheep and a sheep that's left exposed against a backdrop of the wilderness quickly becomes, quickly becomes lunch. Lord, I pray today we would see the truth and feel the truth of knowing that even though it may feel very exposed while we're out there, that we have a good shepherd with a rod and a staff who comfort us and that we can walk even through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because you are there to comfort and protect us. So Father, this week, as we are uh, beset with opportunities and temptation to just blend in, I pray that we would know that our response, whether we're going to chameleon or not, is really a statement about how much we trust your prayer. Because you prayed to your Father that we would be protected from the evil one. Father, would you help us to believe and live? Knowing that God's, the Father's response to Jesus' prayer was, I will protect them. I will cover them if they choose to stand out instead of blend in. We pray these things in your good and beautiful name and all God's people say.